Everybody okay? Don't let me overwhelm you with my tie. All right? Everybody can handle that? I don't want to, to show you. In fact, this past uh, two weeks ago or so, somebody gave me some cufflinks. Look at this. Huh? Are y'all like that? So I had to go buy a shirt that would work with them <laughs> so I could wear them on Easter. So here we are, and we are thankful. I ask if you will to turn your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, it's fitting as we've been walking through the book of Acts that here this last week, I'm thankful for Pastor Jeremy did such a, a great job last week looking at the triumphal in, entry for this service uh, Pastor Stephen doing it in an 11 o'clock service. Look in there in and, and, and Luke's gospel. Luke wrote both Luke and Acts, so it's kind of fitting that as we're in Acts, we'll jump back to Luke and see what he says here. But I tell you, uh, most of my early part of my ministry, I was always scared to preach on Easter. Easter was the tough one. You have a crowd that comes, they want to hear, and you think it's just going to be something simple, but there's this sense in your mind that you have to come up with something new, right? You have to, you have to do something that, that's fantastic and, and glorious. It's a big thing, and so there was this extra weight I was added to myself oftentimes when I came to preach on Easter. And let me just tell y'all, I don't feel that now. And the reason why I say that is because... Ultimately, all we have to do, my only job is to come to you and proclaim that our Savior is alive. That's it. Because in that, whatever fancy words, whatever rhetoric I can give, whatever other things I can do, however I can wordsmith this sermon, what the truth is and what you need to know is, is that we are here today singing of a resurrected Savior because on the third day, he came up from death conquered it, ended it, and now we can have life, those of us who believe in him. So I want us to look together just at that simple truth today, just at that simple truth and the importance of that truth. So we look to the word together, Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. This is Luke's uh, relating to us what happened on this very first Easter morning. In fact, very early on this very first Easter morning. It says in Luke 24, verse 1, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away in the tomb, from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, these men said to them, Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle talk, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes, cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today, and of course, 
thank you for this glorious testimony of the resurrection of our Savior. Father, Jesus Christ is everything to us. The one who died for us, the one who rose again, the one who secured not only our forgiveness, the forgiveness of our sins, but also, Father, our future inheritance with you in glory. God, we thank you today for Christ Jesus. And simply today, as we gather on this Resurrection Sunday morning, God, simply today may we exalt him and him alone. And Father, as we do that, I ask that you draw all men, women, and children to yourself, that you help us all to see Christ for who he is and what he's done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm sure many of you in your life have had that moment or maybe several moments in your life where you knew whatever news you were about to hear was going to change your life forever, right? You knew however someone answered a question you may ask, this is going to be different. I, I remember, I'm, I'm, uh, Allison and I have been married for 20, almost, I don't know, 20 some odd years. <laughs> back in the late 1990s. Back then, you know, when you did uh, these proposals, nowadays, y'all, everybody does everything up so much. You know what I'm saying? You got to have cameras you got to have people watching. you got to have picnics and all kind of other stuff. Me, I just asked Allison if she wanted to be buried with my people. And I said, you want to be buried with my people? And she said, yes. But I knew, I knew at that moment, that question, will you marry me to her, would change my life forever. However she answered it would change it forever, right? And then ultimately we recognize it. In life, we have those things. Whatever news we may get, sometimes it's great news. Sometimes it's bad news. Whatever news we may get is going to change us forever. Well, such was the case on this first Easter morning when these ladies go to the tomb. And whatever happened there, if they were to go to that tomb and find Jesus still dead, or if it would be just as it was, they go to the tomb and find him alive, whatever they found is going to matter for the rest of their life. And not just for them, but for everybody in the whole world. For everybody in the whole world. This verse begins this morning in chapter 24, verse 1. It begins, but on the first day of the week. Here... Luke uses a conjunction, uh, the conjunction word, but for us. And it's introducing to us some news that is in contrast to what has gone before. That's why you use this conjunction here. He's introducing us to some, some contrasting news of what you had heard. For the disciples and the followers of Jesus, it had been one doozy of a week. Seemingly a successful entry. You talked about that last week. Having come in, people, Hosanna, bowing down, laying their coats, riding in in what's been called the triumphal entry, riding into Jerusalem. But as soon as the week gets started, things start going a different direction this week. As soon as it goes, the intensity starts to build up of the moment. Jesus walks into the temple to find them defiling it by selling goods in places they shouldn't be selling it. And he cleanses out the temple. And as he cleanses out the temple, he begins to preach there, teach there in that temple every week. He makes 
prediction of the, the judgment or destruction of Jerusalem because you won't believe not one stone will be left on top of each other, Jesus says, saying these words of, of how they have, have not been faithful to God or following after him and what's coming is going to mean their own judgment. He teaches in the temple, which brings fights with the Pharisees, fights with the Sadducees, fights with the scribes. He talks about destruction. He talks about persecution. He talks about the woes of the people for not believing and following in, in the Lord. And then that final night, as the leadership of Jerusalem began to be angry with him more and more, and it even tells us they were determined to put him to death, Jesus gathers on that final night with his disciples. And what a scene that is, right? He washes their feet. He dismisses Judas and lets him go for betrayal. He teaches them about how he's going to leave, but he's going to send a helper that will come, and it'll, it'll be better for them. He has that, that supper with them as he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed on your behalf. And then as we have in John 17, that incredible high priestly prayer that he prays for his disciples, for his people. And Jesus takes them there after finishing in that upper room, he takes them out to the garden. He says, y'all be on watch. Y'all stay here. And the intensity of the night just continues to get greater and greater. And as the Lord says, y'all be on watch, they fall asleep. But Jesus prays. And he prays so deeply and so strongly that even blood begins to pour from his pores. During this time, of course, of prayer, we see the centurions enter in with Judas, and Judas kisses his cheek. And as soon as he does, Peter thinks he's going to step up and do the right thing, only to have Jesus correct him. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. I've got another reason for coming, Peter. And then as they arrest Jesus, all of his disciples flee and run away. And as they flee and run away, they kind of watch from a distance as Jesus is put on trial as he's mocked, as he's beaten, as they lay a crown of thorns on his head. And there that next day, as all of this takes place, as the crowd screams crucify him, they send Jesus to the cross. Darkness enters in. In fact, in chapter 23, verse 45 of Matthew, it says, the sun's light failed. It failed. When Jesus was on the cross, the sun's light failed. Darkness enters in. The earth started quaking. Rocks started breaking. The curtain torn in two. The intensity of the moment was palpable for all to see. All of creation was involved in this. And there on the cross, he gave up his spirit. Died. It started out on Sunday with a triumphal entry, and it ends on Friday with the death of Christ, with his disciples fleeing and running. It started the night before with him washing their feet. We'll never leave you, God. We want to be with you. Don't leave us. And then the next day, they all desert him. All of this takes place throughout the gospel. We see the end. The pace of that, that last week was so quick. The intensity of it, the urgency of it, all of it's happening so fast until finally Jesus is dead. 
And he is laid in a tomb. They take his broken and his beaten body. They take it down quickly before sundown. They hurry up, wrap some linen cloths around it, place him in a borrowed tomb, waiting to finish the job later. They rolled a stone in front of the tomb. They placed guards there to protect it. What happened on Sunday morning was that the ladies believed they were going to finish the burial process. The intensity of the week was great. They had Saturday to mourn. They waited for the light just to break through. They were going to the grave to finish the burial process. But on the first day of the week, do you see the contrast of the week then? All of the pain and agony had come to, come to the, the top on Friday. They were going to finish the burial process. And Luke says, but on the first day of the week. You see, the news of this morning, the first Easter morning, would not just change the lives of those who went to the tomb. This news would change everything for everybody forever. Forever. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the linchpin of Christianity. What I mean by that is if you were to take it out, the whole thing falls apart. If you were to take away the resurrection, everything falls apart. The Gospels preach and teach this. Paul teaches this in the New Testament to take away the resurrection. There is no Christianity. That's how important this event was on the first day of the week. And what I want us to see quickly this morning is just a few things. Combined with Jesus' death and his burial and the resurrection, these things combined together, we find the heart of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We find the heart of the good news of the gospel. We see as these ladies go there in verse 2, it says, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, these men said to them, Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. As these ladies get to the tomb, they have three surprises. One, the stone is rolled away. They get there, wasn't expecting that. The stone was rolled away. Not only that, when they get there, there's no body in the tomb. There's only the linen cloths laid there. The stone is gone and Jesus is gone. And not only that, you have these two angelic beings standing there waiting to greet them. So as the ladies come to finish the burial process of Jesus, they get there and everything's different than what they thought it would be. In fact, these two that were standing there ask a question to reorient them in the right way. They come to finish the burial process. He says, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? Let's reorient our thinking here. Why do you, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? Why are you coming to do something that the dead need when the one you are coming for is alive? He reorients their, reorients their mind and everything together. He's almost asking them this question like, you guys should have known this. You should have known this because remember what he said to you? Remember how he told you? Surely he's probably referring back in Luke's gospel to chapter 9, verse 22, 
when Jesus says the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Preaching in Galilee up north to his disciples, he tells them exactly what's going to happen. And when he does this, Jesus uses this title for himself, the Son of Man, a title that comes from the Old Testament prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man would be the one who all redemption would come from. Salvation would come from. The Son of Man is the one who will reign on the throne forever and ever. And all of his people will be safe there as the Son of Man reigns. That's what Daniel 7 says. And here, Jesus is saying the Son of Man will reign. He will be on the throne. He will be the one who is lifted high and up. And forever his kingdom will be built and established. And no one can knock it down. Surely the Son of Man is coming to do that. But first... The Son of Man must suffer, die, and be raised again. You see, ultimately, Jesus' point is, is that the gospel itself, in order for the Son of Man to do the work that he's come to do, to redeem his people and save them and establish his kingdom forever, then he must die on the cross, and he must be raised again. That's the heart of the good news. That's the heart of the gospel. Now, we know here the gospel is, 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 is simple for us, maybe. God is holy. We must live up to him, yet we are sinful. Man is sinful. We've rejected him and rebelled against him. And Jesus died and rose again to save us from our sins. He died in our place. I remember when I was young and expressed to my father for the first time that I wanted to to be baptized, to be saved and to be baptized. My dad, as I may have told you before, he made me go speak to every man in the church. You got to talk to him. And so many of them gave me over and over again Romans Road. How many of y'all know Romans Road? Y'all know this? Y'all, Romans Road is simple. It's a walk through the book of Romans, that, that a way to present the gospel for us. And so when we walk through it, they, they said first, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he said, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Romans 5, 8, but God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory and the wages of sin is death, but while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Romans 6, 23, so the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so we're all sinners. We all deserve death, yet Jesus, while we were sinners, came and died for us so that we can have eternal life through his death on the cross on our behalf. And if we have that, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so ultimately, do a walk through Romans Road. And I, I remember as a little kid going, all right, well, what do I do then? Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why is it that Paul says it like this? 
Why does Paul not say you got to believe this, you got to believe this? He lists out the doctrines. You got to believe he was born of a virgin. You got to believe he's, you got to believe all of that to be saved. By all means, you got to know who Jesus was and what he came to do. You've got, but why did he boil it all down to say, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? He boiled all of the theology, all of the truth of God's word down to this one thing. This one thing. It all comes down to the resurrection. The cross was just another execution if there's no resurrection. The cross was just another death. And Jesus was just another false Messiah in history if there's no resurrection. Paul will make this point again in the book of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you were stand, by which you were being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Ultimately, Paul says, here's the heart of it. I preached the gospel to you, and here's what I told you. Jesus died and was buried and was raised again. That's the heart of the gospel. And as he continues there in 1 Corinthians 15, what does Paul say? Paul says, you may say Jesus hasn't been raised, but if you do, you need to understand a few things. If Jesus hasn't been raised, then your faith is in vain, Paul says. If Jesus hasn't been raised, then you are still in your sins, Paul says. If Jesus hasn't been raised, then you have no hope, and we are pitiful as a people to come here and to sing about him and to hear his word proclaimed and to act as if he's alive when he's actually dead, Paul says. If Jesus hasn't been raised, then Christianity is not real. He said earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says, that's the heart of my preaching. I preach. Every time I preach, it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was crucified on that cross for you. That's the heart of it. But in 1 Corinthians 15, notice what Paul says. He says, his preaching... His preaching of the crucifixion of Christ is foolishness and in vain if Jesus is not alive. He says, if Christ Jesus is not alive, then you're still in your sins and our preaching is in vain, he says. There in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 15. In other words, it all comes down to this. The resurrection is evidence that the cross was efficient. What I mean by that is that it worked. It did what it meant to do. The resurrection was evident that the cross was sufficient. Not only did it work, it is enough. It is enough to save sinners from their sins. 
On the cross, Jesus died. He took our sin upon himself. And there, his sacrifice was found enough on our behalf. And as he entered in, as Hebrews 9 says, into that throne room in heaven and shed, spread his own blood on the altar, the Lord says, this is good. And for all of those who were redeemed, they're redeemed through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ our Lord, for his sacrifice is enough. It worked. And so now we don't need to look for another sacrifice. We've got the one that works. We don't need to look for anything else. We've got the one that is sufficient. We need nothing else. We need no other thing. Jesus' sacrifice is enough, and it is the resurrection that proves that, Paul says. The reason why he can preach Jesus Christ and him crucified and nothing else is because Jesus Christ is alive. And that's all we need. Proves he says who he said he is who he says he is, as he uses that title for himself, the Son of Man from Daniel seven, the one who will sit on the throne forever. It proves that this is the Son of Man. This is the one whose kingdom cannot be taken away. Why? Because they tried to kill him, and he's back alive. This is the one who reigns forever. Why? Because he's conquered death. This is the one who will be on that throne and no one can knock him off of it. Why? Because no one can touch his authority and his power for he's overcome it all. He is high and lifted up. There is no other. It all comes down to this. It all comes down to this, Paul says. Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? For every one of us in here, that's the life-changing question. That's the life-changing question above all other questions. Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? If he did not, then this is foolish. My tie, my cufflinks, all of it is foolish. If Jesus is still dead, then we have no hope. It's nonsense for you to be here listening to me preach. It's foolish for us to gather together every week on the first day of the week and sing as God's people the fact that he's alive if he's not alive. Paul says we're lying to everybody if he's still dead. If Jesus is still dead, then this is foolish. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, then by all means, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. In other words, there's no hope, there's no purpose, there's no nothing. Just indulge yourselves because there's nothing left. You are still in your sins and there's no hope for you to get out of them. If Jesus is still dead, there's no hope for any of us. But if he is alive, if he is alive, then this is everything. This is everything. Everything we do, everything we think of, Every bit of our life must be considered in light of the fact that there is a God who rules and reigns on the throne, who is over and above all things. And that God, that God stepped off of that throne for a moment to save us and redeem us so we could be with him. We owe everything to him. If he's still alive, then we owe him everything, and he's worthy of it all. He's worthy of every ounce of our life. He's worthy of every ounce of our thoughts, our breath, everything we got. We recognize if he's still alive, he's worthy of everything we give him. We orient our lives around this truth, this truth. Jesus Christ is alive. I want to tell you, and I'm sure it's no surprise to you, but I believe it. 
I believe that on the third day he rose again. Just as I believe that on the cross he died in my place. I believe that he conquered death. I believe he conquered hell. I believe, I believe that he came and gave life so now that my life in him can have purpose. My life in him can have meaning. My life in him can have an eternity set for us just as Peter says. We have a hope that cannot be defiled, that will not fade away, that no one can destroy because that hope is based on a resurrected Savior. And I truly, my great desire is that every single one of you in here today would believe as well for the evidence is outstanding for this. While death, burial, and resurrection are the heart of the gospel, our passage shows us that there's also some witnesses to these things. Luke wants you to hear the witnesses of the empty tomb. I love there in Luke chapter 24, there verse 8, as the, the angels say this, he's been crucified on the third day, he rise. This is what happened. They remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told, they became witnesses. These ladies went, they saw it. They went to prepare the burial, finish the job, and they come back to proclaim Jesus is alive. They remembered his words, they returned, and they came back as witnesses to the empty tomb. And notice what it says. When they came back as witnesses, they told the eleven and all the rest, but they didn't believe them. This is idle talk. This is idle tale. For me, that sounds good, right? If somebody were to burst up into my house and tell me somebody just died and rose again, I'm like, y'all crazy. No way. Again, the Gospels, if they're anything, they tell the truth, right? First of all, why would the Lord choose these ladies who, who in first century, it may not make sense to us, but in, in first century here, these ladies couldn't even be witnesses in a courtroom. If you were going to make this self stuff up, you wouldn't choose them to be the first witnesses. And here the Lord has them come to the tomb and he tells them, go tell everybody. These become the first witnesses. And I love this one, Joanna. You got Mary and you got Mary. Y'all know all the Marys. But what about Joanna? Joanna is mentioned to us earlier in Luke's gospel. I think for a purpose. I think Luke mentions Joanna in chapter 8 because he's going to mention her in chapter 24. He wants us to know who Joanna is. And Joanna was the wife of Chuzza. It's a great name. I see many young children in here if you got a young boy. Chuzza may be a name you want to choose. Chuzza was Herod's household manager. In other words, he was close to the evil and wicked king Herod. Y'all know Herod. Y'all remember that, right? Christmas, what too long ago. He was close to the evil and wicked king Herod. But Joanna, it says, had an evil spirit and great affirmities, and the Lord healed her. And from that moment in Luke 8, Joanna followed Jesus with the ladies everywhere. The only two places we have her mentioned is in chapter 8, but then here in chapter 24. And if you remember, the reason why I say this is because Luke, Luke tells us in the early part of his gospel, he says that he got together the witnesses and he brought them in. Luke was saved a lot later, some say 20 years after Jesus' death or more through Paul's ministry. And Luke is doing his investigation. He's a historian. He's getting all the witnesses. He's taking notes. He's doing all the stuff he needs to do. 
I believe, as many have said, that the witness to this first Sunday morning, this first Easter for Luke, is he sat down with a pen and paper and took notes from Joanna. That's the reason Luke mentions her. He wants to know, this is my witness here. This is the one. Joanna was there that day. Why else would you bring her up? We know the other Marys. She was there that day. And from that first morning, that first morning on, Joanna was a witness of the fact that Jesus Christ was alive. She was alive. He was alive. Remember, it would have probably been tough for Joanna to be a witness to this, a follower of Jesus. Her husband was a leader in the household of Herod. Chuzza was big time. And so surely he had to say to her, sometimes you need to calm that down. You need to pull that back. You need to not say that too loud. Surely it is. And if she went to the tomb that day to find Jesus still in the tomb, do you think she would have put Chuzza and her family and everybody at risk for a lie? But no. She believed and she followed. Even though they said it's idle talk, she said, go see for yourself. And then he gives us one more witness here, Peter. And Peter takes off to the tomb. Surely he wanted to know. Y'all remember Peter, he denied Jesus three times on the night he was betrayed. Peter denied Jesus to a little slave girl by a fire to anybody and everybody. And on the third time, that rooster crowed just like Jesus said it was. And if you remember in Matthew's gospel, it says that Peter's eyes made contact with Jesus. He made eye contact with Jesus right after the rooster crowed and he knew exactly what he did and he he ran away and wept bitterly, the scripture says. You know if anybody wanted Jesus to be alive, it would be Peter, but he had to go see this for himself and he took off to run to the tomb. Many want to explain away the resurrection. We shouldn't be surprised that people want to deny this. There's been all kinds of theories throughout. The body was stolen. We know how crazy that would be. They put a big stone up in front of it. They put guards there in front of the tomb. The Romans were going to make sure, the Jews were going to make sure nobody was going to steal this body. The swoon theory, that's one of my favorite. Jesus really didn't die after he'd been beaten, after he'd been hanged on a tree for, for six. He didn't really die. He just kind of passed out. The wrong tomb, get that one. The wrong tomb idea is that everybody went to the wrong tomb and built their whole Christianity on the fact that they went to a tomb that wasn't really the tomb and that tomb was empty. Hallucination theory. Everybody's kind of hallucinating about Jesus. It's all in their head, right? All of them are hallucinating about it. Surely that's got to be explanation. Why do people come up with such nonsense? Because they know if Jesus is alive, it matters in their life. They've got an answer to this. All of those theories of alternative ideas of what happened to Jesus would mean that the apostles and the followers of Jesus must conspire together. They must come together, huddle up, and say, all right, he's still dead, but we're going to tell everybody he's alive, okay? Let's do it. We can do this. We can make it seem like it's going to be the case. But as we read in Acts, it wasn't easy to follow Jesus. Chuck Colson was a member of the team that was with Richard Nixon in the early 70s. In fact, he was one of the leaders in the Watergate scandal. 
Chuck Colson was convicted and thrown in prison. While he was in prison, he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. Just recently passed away, wrote his biography called Born Again, and he speaks about how the resurrection was vital in understanding in his life that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God and the Savior. He says, the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is more powerful than anything else we believe. And he tells us it was because of the Watergate scandal that he believed in the resurrection. Listen to what he says. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years or more, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten. Every one of them was tortured. Every one of them was stoned and put in prison. They would not have endurance, endured all of these things if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. <laughs> You're telling me 12 apostles in the face of beating, in the face of torture, in the face of persecution, kept firm in the fact that Jesus Christ is alive? You're telling me they did that? Absolutely is true. For who would die for a lie? My friends, this is what it comes down to. The witness of the truth of God's word is that Jesus Christ is alive. And that means everything. Jesus Christ rose again on the third day after suffering death on the cross. His work was done, efficient, sufficient for all of us, worthy now of our lives. And what Easter the resurrection itself demands from us is for us to answer that question. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? Do we believe Jesus Christ is alive? And hopefully if you say today, and I'm assuming, I'm assuming that all of you in this room may in some way assent to the fact that, 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 that yes, that's why we're here, Josh. Well, then does your life look like it? Do you live in light of the fact that your Savior died for you and rose again and reigns today? Have you oriented your life around him for he is worthy of it all? Have you confessed that he is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? If you have done that, then truly you have found life because you have placed your hope and your trust in the one and the only one who has come to save you, redeem you, and raised again on the third day for you. If you believe it, then by all means, you must live it. Just as Christ Jesus is alive, he's called us to live for him. And that's my prayer for each and every one of us today. Is Christ Jesus alive? Then let's live like it. Let's follow him. If today you recognize that you have not truly given yourself to him, then simply this, confess with your mouth Jesus the Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead and you can be saved. At the end of our service, we'll have some of our pastors standing in the back of the room, Stephen, Jeremy, Nathan, some of them standing in the back, ready to receive any one of you today that wants to confess and believe. But child of God, hear me. Today, next Sunday, the Sunday after that, the Sunday after that, the Sunday after that, we are going to gather together on and on. And every Sunday, I promise you, as long as I'm alive, I may not have cufflinks on, but we will be up in this place proclaiming the resurrection of our Savior as the only hope for us. 
Orient your lives around that. Trust that. Let's pray together. Father, help us today to follow after you. Thank you, God, that we serve a risen Savior. A risen Savior. God, I ask that if there's anybody here today that have not given their lives to you just as you gave their life for them, that today would be the day. That, Father, they would confess with their mouth. They would believe in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Today they would have salvation. Maybe some here, Father, confess it and believe it, and they've done that in the past at some point. But today, today, Father, they recognize they have not lived their life in light of this truth. Maybe today, Father, they can rededicate themselves to a life of following after our resurrected Savior. 